You're listening to Ants Talk. My next guest had one of the worst cases of anxiety where she couldn't even leave the house. Suffering for many years as a mother with kids, she tried so many things to find a cure. Nothing worked. She then tried stillness meditation, which is a medical-based meditation founded by Dr. Ainsley Mears. This cured her anxiety. Let's talk more and welcome to the show, Pauline McKinnon. How are you, Pauline? I'm very well, thank you, Ant, and thank you for inviting me on the show. My pleasure. So, Pauline, tell us, how bad did your anxiety actually get? It was pretty bad, really. Um, you know, I have to roll back my mind now some almost 40 years ago mm. uh, when I was a young married woman, but um, it was very compelling. It was the agoraphobic reaction where it's very difficult to leave the safety of home. Uh, I was very fortunate to have a very supportive husband who was, um, you know, ready to pull me through any situation, I suppose. But there were many, many, many times when I just simply could not go through that door. Yeah. So it was pretty compelling. Hmm. Did you, do, do you think that there was a trigger or something that did you notice how it sort of initiated? I think uh, there was a build-up of stress, you know. Um, in our very early months of our marriage, uh, my father died very suddenly of a heart attack. Um, a month later, my husband's father died pretty suddenly also. A month after that, his brother-in-law, who was only 39 years of age, dropped dead of a heart attack in the middle wow. of the night. Uh, yeah, and a month after that, an uncle of my husband's, who was not much older, you know, only in his 40s, also dropped dead of a heart attack. So there was all that going on in the background. Mm. We had lonely widows to uh, look after and console. I had two young children at the time. Um, I could sense in, you know, it's easy for me to look back now and say, well, yes, I could sense the tension rising. And I knew that often I was feeling stressed and uncomfortable. But, you know, when you're sort of in your early 20s, you just keep going and you think, oh, this is all right. I guess, mm. you know, we'll get through this. Um, and then one day I was out shopping with the children in the car and um, just had this massive panic attack. And in those days, nobody talked about panic attacks. Nobody talked about anxiety, really. Yeah. So I was really in a quandary. And uh, it just sort of got worse. Uh, it got worse for a while and then it kind of plateaued out. But I was left with that residual fear um, yeah. that just, just remained. Hmm. It's funny that you mentioned about the agoraphobia because I, um, I actually went through workers' compensation. I was injured at work while working in Sydney and mm -hmm. um, I did a sort of a, a tear to my rotator cuff, which was extremely painful. It literally changed my physical life. It really did yeah. um, because I was always in pain, never being able to sleep because of the pain and, and you know, discomfort. Um, mm. And so I was spending a lot of time at home anyway. Uh, and then when I started to go through the actual workers' comp process, I had to go and see lawyers, et cetera, et cetera. And that's when my lawyer told me, well, the insurance company are literally following you. They're photographing you. They're, they're following you. And that just made it even worse. So my oh, anxiety went through the absolute roof because every time I left the house, I felt like I was being followed. Yeah, It was such yeah, a very... bizarre situation to be in. Um, and I mean, that led even to, I moved to Adelaide uh, about seven or eight years ago now. 
And even when I first got here, there was still that residual feeling of not wanting Mm. to leave the house. This is probably a space of over four years it continued on. Yes. Yes, it's very, uh, anxiety is a very compelling emotional reaction. Mm. Uh, And we do hear a lot more about it these days, but I think people still don't have a grip on it really. No. Mm. With me, I still get anxiety. I mean, I suppose I'm in a position where I, I, I deal with it quite well because I'm quite a confident person and I can fake anything, really, fake it till yeah. you make it. But yeah. what I always do notice is my, it, to me, my trigger is my sweat yes. because I feel yeah. myself absolutely start to sweat and mm. that's when I know it's coming on um, mm. and I've just got to sort of try and swallow it and go, I'm going to just keep battling on. Um, That's right. But it can be absolutely debilitating for some people. Oh, definitely. And uh, lots and lots of negative things flow through your mind in those moments. And that's yeah. not good either. But it's very difficult in that scenario to, uh, to stop that happening. Mm. So what was the hardest time for you, do you recall? Uh, oh, gosh. <laughs> it all felt hard at the time. And, I, you know, we went on to have two more children. Um, which was lovely, um, but, you know, it was a busy time. Mm. Um, so those years were very much controlled by my anxiety. And although I tried very hard to extend myself as much as possible and push myself, and, and Don was marvellous because he would always be there for me whenever possible, um, and, of course, all through this time I was trying to seek a cure, let's say, you know, and I was seeing various therapist and then I did see a psychiatrist for a long period of time but um, that was that was not very successful and I've written about that in my book of course and I don't need to go into the details now but it really wasn't successful because I think the major thing really was I needed to stop and slow down and release the tension and and really kind of reorient myself yeah um and it's easier to say that now looking back because with the voice of experience, you, you know what you should have done. But at the time, you're just doing what you have to do, really. Yeah, exactly. And where did you learn about the stillness meditation? Well, at that time, Dr. Mears, he was a, Dr. Mears was a prominent and very well-known, world-renowned psychiatrist. And uh, he, um, well, he was local. He was in Melbourne. And I just kept seeing him advertising what he was promoting or instituting as a new way to manage these reactions. And I have to say, I spoke to my GP and I spoke to the psychiatrist and neither of them were very supportive <laughs> in, in sending me there um, because Dr. Mears was different. He, he mm. had different ideas and uh, he presented slightly differently and people, I suppose, even the medical profession was a bit unkind to him and not very um, understanding of his pioneering efforts. Um, but anyway, I thought, well, I've I haven't got much to lose. I'm not getting anywhere here. And so I took the plunge. Actually, it was triggered by uh, my reading a passage in his book when I was about to give birth to our fourth child. And that was a trigger point because there's a very short section in Dr. Mears' very well-known book, which is titled Relief Without Drugs, um, very short passage on childbirth and the process of releasing and relaxing and letting go, not holding back and, you know, 
trying to control the pain, so to speak. And that impressed me and it sort of helped me at the time of Steve's birth. So that was my um, incentive, I suppose, final incentive to try something little, a little different. Yeah. And uh, it was hard at first because I'd built up so much tension, so much resistance that um, it, it wasn't easy for me to sit in a room full of other people all being quiet and him encouraging us to just be still for 50 minutes it's it's a big ask when you're yeah yeah, when you're nearly climbing the walls but um with his encouragement i kept going back and going back and going back and then i started obviously started to practice it a little bit at home tentatively and then i gradually noticed little things changing little things just I had more energy. I was more able to control the order or disorder in the house. You know, little things like that that were really um, very encouraging signs. And I hung Mm. in there. And then one day, it was almost as if I had like a, oh, that's all it was. It was just like an awakening to the simplicity of it all. And from there on, uh, it was fine. Now, I also know that you've learnt to practice yourself and you now have one of the world's leading practices right here in Australia. Well, I, I, I am, I suppose you would say, continuing Dr Mir's work. Unfortunately, he died quite unexpectedly in 1986, which is a long time ago. Mm. And it was just shortly after, when I first published my book, he wrote the foreword to it and he encouraged me then to start teaching other people, which was a, a lovely, generous um, thing to him for him to do. And so very tentatively, I did start teaching other people and, and of course, that's grown over the years. And I'm very proud and to say that I've seen a lot of remarkable changes in a lot of people's lives yeah. simply when they've been able to hang in there and do what I've taught them. So tell us more about the practice. How does it differ to normal meditation or is it similar? Um, no, it's, it's quite different and I think it's almost really not meditation in a way. Um, Dr. Mears was using various terminologies as he was developing the idea and I suppose the most uh, consistent uh, terminology was he, he called it relaxing mental exercises but then... This is sort of the 70s coming into the 80s and meditation was starting to become a little bit well-known. And so he then adopted the term relaxing meditation. And so the difference really is with the majority of meditation, there is a focus or a mindfulness or a purpose of some kind to adopt Um it might be a spiritual purpose and that's wonderful. It might be some other kind of purpose and that's all excellent too. But what Dr. Mears taught and what I've been teaching is that this is about not focusing, but giving the mind a break, giving the mind a rest from all the activity that it's already dealing with. So no matter how beautiful or mindful or visual you might be, you're still actually using that capacity within the brain that Mm. seems to crave rest and because tension in my experience is the primary uh, accelerating force for any kind of anxiety situation and remember tension is in the body but it's also in the mind it's also you know churning away in our brain Um, it seems that this kind of rest 
sort of takes us out of that state and breaks the cycle or something. And so the mind relearns and, and the brain sort of says, okay, this is not such a difficult situation at all, or I can move through this very calmly and easily or, or that sort of thing, not mm -hmm. consciously, but because we're giving it that break. Interesting. It's funny because, I mean, there's so many people that I speak to and when you talk about meditation to them, they're like, oh, I tried that once, I can't do that. Um, mm. And I had that same sort of thinking myself Funnily enough, I was working recently in an art gallery and they was hiring out the space now and again to different people. One of the people mm. that they hired it out to was a woman that was teaching meditation. So she invited me and she said, look, if you want to sit in on the meditations, feel free. Um, mm -hmm. And I would do it and each and every time I would fall asleep every time. Yes. And funnily yes. enough, only about, it's been about nine days ago now, a friend of mine actually invited me into this group where we're doing the Deepak Chopra uh, meditations at the moment. It's about abundance. Mm -hmm. So again, it is going back to the points you were saying where you have something to focus on or a chant that you're focusing on and we're mm -hmm. doing it. And I'm, I've actually shocked myself that I've stuck with it. I haven't mm -hmm. fallen asleep mm -hmm. and I've actually been really <laughs> enjoying it. I've really yeah. been enjoying it. But I, oh, do get what you, I do get just what you say about being still and being able to actually clear the mind for 50 minutes is a huge ask. It really it's is. It's a huge ask at first. Yes, that's right. But then once you get the hang of it, you start to crave it, you know, yeah. and that's, um, I'm not saying it's an, an addiction, but it becomes something you want to do and yeah. to experience and to repeat. And so it then becomes a sort of, um, not exactly a way of life, but a kind of a, a way of living, I suppose, that mm. where you don't let that stressed that that stressed feeling doesn't arise. Let's yeah. put it that way. It's like me. I mean, with exercise, I always I love to exercise, whether it be just a bit of stretching or if it is to go for a run mm. or whatever it may be. It's it's always been one of my passions, and it's mm. something that is that same sort of feeling. It's not because I want to do it to look good or to lose weight or anything like that, even though they are great things that come with it. It is yeah. because I just love having it in my life and I don't feel yeah. right if I don't do it. And I think no, it's the same thing with good. meditation. Yes, it is, it is. And I think any of these practices, um, if they're, I guess, uh, practices that we respond to and enjoy, we do need to really nourish them and keep them going. Mm. Um, you know, I have, I suppose, other things in my life that interest me too and, and they feed into that really that, uh, you know, you, it's a support system really. And practice makes perfect, with, like with anything. We've, we've yeah. got to put in the time to get the benefits. I believe. We do. Yes, we do. Yeah. And unfortunately, when people are anxious, they often don't have a lot of patience, you know, yeah. wanting a quick fix or wanting, you know, fix me yesterday, as it were. And I understand that. But, um, but we, it takes a long time to get into these negative situations and it can take quite a long time mm. to come out of them as well. This is Anne's Talk. So I also know that you're the founder of the Australian Meditation Association. Tell us more about that. Yeah, oh, well, I, um, it was a bit of a brainchild of mine, I suppose. Somewhere along the line, I thought, well, we need a bit of regulation for meditation because it, it is, it was then and is still a burgeoning um, industry, which is a 
kind of a strange word to link it with, but it is a kind of an industry. And um, so I had this bright idea and uh, followed it through. And that's uh, some, oh gosh, must have been over 12 years, 12 or 13 years ago now. I'm um, just listed there as the founding patron. I don't, I'm not on the board anymore, but I keep an interest in what's going on. And um, there's a lot of membership now and uh, I guess a lot of following because people are accepting different practices. Um, and there are many approaches to meditation and uh, I'm sure many approaches suit different people differently. Mm. And so it's a wonderful thing to, to see that, you know, flourishing now. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm, you know, neither of us are claiming to be experts, but if you, if a listener was out there and, and thinking to themselves, do I get anxiety? Like, what does it feel like? Do I get it? What would be some of the points that you would point out to people to say, like, these, these are what you would call a trigger or this is what you would call anxiety? What are some of those things you'd suggest? Mm. Uh, you mean their symptoms? Yeah. Yes. Oh, well, I think probably the number one thing is avoidance because uh, I'm talking, uh, my experience was sort of agoraphobia, but, you know, that involves social phobia and that's a very, very common avoidance um, level of anxiety where people feel really uncomfortable in social situations and you know to be invited to a wedding or a party is an absolute nightmare for them uh, so that's one very prominent example um, driving on freeways is another one that certainly the agoraphobic hates all of these things anyway but um, driving on a freeway can be very alarming to a lot of people I think again there's a sense of being out of control of the situation and you sort of are really until you come to the next exit and then you don't know where you're going to end up really. Yeah, yeah. So that's, you know, and of course, anxious people are generally very sensitive, creative thinkers. And a lot of the time the imagination is getting in the way as well because, you know, what I just said about, you know, you don't know which where you'll end up if you take the next exit. That's when the brain goes into fertile mode, you know, and all sorts of scenarios. So that will create panic for an anxious person. Mm. Fear of flying, of course, is another one, you know, being enclosed in that aeroplane. Some people love it. Um, very highly anxious people would not like that at all. Um, it's a claustrophobic sort of feeling. And it's also, again, about being out of control of the situation because none of us is going to get to fly the aeroplane <laughs> except <laughs> Pilot. <laughs> <laughs> that's actually very interesting yeah because there's a lot of triggers that i noticed myself a lot of triggers but um symptoms and also triggers it would be things like as you mentioned being invited and going out to places at at, at the beginning of it i just thought i'm you know obviously i'm just not feeling up to it or i'm tired or but then i started to realize after time and time and time and time again, no, that wasn't the issue anymore. It was now that I was actually avoiding the situation altogether. Um, yes. and I needed to start to push myself out of the house. And, you know, that, that even came to things like I would, you know, I would plan to go for, a, you know, just down to the supermarket, go shopping, go, you know, where there's going to be a lot of people in a small place. Cause this was in Sydney, of course. Um, and, just doing those little steps day by day made such a difference to my life. Um, mm. 
another big trigger for me was nighttime because earlier on and around that same period, I was actually robbed by knife point at night. And I really feared the dark after that. So therefore I then again had to try and break that habit and start to just organize with meetings up with friends of mine, even just for coffee around the corner Mm. at nighttime, Mm. just to break the thinking that nighttime was a bad thing, you know? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, that was a very, that's a very stressful thing to have happened. And that impresses itself, you know, on the psyche and it's warning, warning, you know, keep away from that kind of environment. Very much so. But it's funny Mm. that I just think that with, with practice and with pushing yourself, it really can change things and also seeking things out like meditation or even yoga Mm. or exercise Mm. or anything like that, that can break the chain and, and, and Mm. and also give you a little bit of endorphin boost and benefit at the same time Mm. is only Mm. going to help anxiety in the long run. Well, definitely because, and also if we're pushing ourselves without anything to support that push, um, we're just going to wear ourselves out too, you know, Mm. which is not such a good idea either. So I think definitely we need some encouragement in some way, either through learning to relax properly, learning to meditate, whatever it might be. Um, And this is where the support person can be very useful in, for example, the agoraphobic reaction, because when you're with someone that, you know, cares about you, you're going to be more relaxed anyway, you know. So it works in that way as well. No, it's interesting. What advice would you offer to someone suffering anxiety today? Um, I think the first thing is to notice your body and notice your mind and notice how, whether you're tense like this, you know, shoulders up around your ears and tight tummy, tight chest, tight legs, whatever, um, really let go. Letting go in the body is so, so, so important. Mm. And that will help to lead to other forms of letting go, releasing and relaxing that tension. Because mm. tension's like a, um, you know, tension triggers reaction. And it's like a message to the brain that there's danger. As soon as we tighten ourselves up, the brain goes, oh, oh you know, where's the saber-toothed tiger kind of yeah. thing. And of course, there isn't one, but that's when we start to sweat or churn or whatever it might happen to be. So that's number one, really, releasing tension, most important. If anyone wants to read any of my books, that will be the theme they see throughout it. Can you actually mention those books for us, the title? I'd love to. I should have them here to hold up for you, shouldn't I? Um, (laughs) Primary one is In Stillness, Conquer Fear. That was first, I think I was uh, the first in the known world to publish my story and to go public on anxiety. Uh, That was published in 1983, a long time ago. Um, The latest edition is 2016. It's a much fatter fatter book than it was to begin with. Um, Living Calm in a Busy World is another one that helps people understand, particularly about Dr. Mir's style of meditation. I wrote a book for children, also a little bit of a pioneering effort um, back in 1990 called Quiet Magic, which helps children in fantasy form, uh, it's a fantasy story, to help kids understand that the letting go is really, really important. And there's a few others, but they're the main ones, I guess. And there are some audios. If people go to my website, they can find those. Yeah. Could you actually mention your website for us also? 
thanks that is it's www.stillnessmeditation.com.au fantastic another little point I, I wanted to add in there too was i really respect breathing these mm-hmm. days mm. Because mm, it's amazing really how I've learned over the years how shallow we most of us do breathe. And by Absolutely. stopping and taking a really deep breath, how much it can actually relax the body. And, and it's instant. It really mm. is instant. It really makes such a difference. Definitely. And that's a good, uh, you triggered that thought with me as well. I'm actually a trained singer from way back, but and so I've always known how to breathe. Uh, I think my breathing technique let me down in those anxious years because when you're anxious, you forget all about those things and you're just yeah. grabbing a breath here or there. But it, it's very, very important to breathe deeply and to breathe diaphrag- diaphragmatically. Mm. Um, and I think, again, <clears throat> excuse me, in meditation, the function of the breathing slows down, slows down, slows down, so that the breath is getting a rest as well. And uh, I think, you know, it's a really important point. And thank you for mentioning that. Yeah, no problem. Funny enough, I, I sing myself too. Maybe that's why we both thought of it. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, um, but um, could you just reiterate again the website before we sign off? Just let yes. the listeners know the website one more time. It's www.stillnessmeditation.com.au. Fantastic. Pauline, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you coming on and speaking about anxiety because it's, it's an issue that I think a lot of us deal with and not a lot of us are willing to talk about it. And I think the more right. that we do talk about it, the more open we are, the more that we normalise it because it is so normal, the better. Absolutely, and particularly in our current world situation, I think exactly. there's a lot of anxiety out there too. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I've been feeling mine, don't you worry. <laughs> but I've also been breathing and meditating to balance Don't, yeah, don't worry, all will be well. Exactly. <laughs> um, I should just say too that um, meditation and lowers our stress level overall, which in turn increases the function of the immune system. Very important. Especially now, definitely. Thank you, Ant. Thank you so much, Pauline. I really appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Ant's Talk. It's like Oprah, but not.